New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Our guest today has discovered that writing and other forms of expression can be especially effective in assisting our spiritual growth. He tells us it doesn't matter how good our expressions are, but that they keep us in relationship to the larger universe we are part of. Mark Nepo is a learner of the heart, not a specialist of the mind. His work, his writings, his many books, his poems, and his workshops are all about creating a sacred place where the experience of honest truth can happen. Even in our deepest moments of suffering, he encourages us to seek out slivers of light seeping through the broad slats of darkness. Today we'll be exploring how art and creative expression can bring about our deepest truths to light. Mark Nepo is a poet and philosopher and a most eloquent spiritual teacher. In 2015, he was given a Life Achievement Award by Age Nation, and in 2016 was named by Watkins Mind, Body, Spirit as one of the most spiritually influential living people. He was part of Oprah Winfrey's The Life You Want Tour in 2014 and has appeared several times on Oprah on her Super Soul Sunday program on OWN TV. As a cancer survivor, Mark devotes his writing and teaching to the journey of inner transformation and the life of relationship. He's the author of many audio learning projects, also upcoming in 2020 of Three Spiritual Journeys for Small Groups, and some of his books include, which he has over 20 of them, uh, Reduced to Joy, The One Life We're Given, Finding the Wisdom That Waits in Your Heart, The Way Under the Way, The Place of True Meeting, and Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to New Dimensions. Mark, welcome to New Dimensions. Oh, thank you. It's always good to be with you. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. You know, I'd like to start today with a poem. And this is a poem that's right at the beginning of your book. Now, throughout all of your books, there are many poems and many of them are written by you. So as a poet, it's wonderful to have your own poems. But this one I wanted to point out because for me... In the last month, 
I've never read this poem before. It's by William Stafford. And I've never read it before, but in the last month, it's come to me four times in different mm, ways. Wow. And then when I opened your book, <laughs> and it's right at the uh, beginning of your book, I just have to share sure. it with our listeners. Can yeah, you read the, it? Yes, I'd love to. This is by William Stafford, the great poet from the Northwest. And it's called The Way It Is. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread. But it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die. And you suffer and get old. Nothing you can do will stop time's unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. You know, your teaching encourages us to discover that thread. Oh, thank you. Yes, it definitely. And I, I want to tell our listeners, I've been immersed in your teaching for the last few days, and I have a <laughs> few more days to go, which is just such a gift to be here with you at this retreat oh, at you. the Santa Sabina Center in San Rafael, California. And, and I, I just am so grateful, and I'm deepening myself in, but I would like to ask you, when did this focus of following your thread and personal expression uh, become a focus for you? Well, so for me, and I can talk about that, let's give it a larger context that, that William Stafford wonderfully talks about it as the thread, but it is the lifeline that all spiritual traditions speak about that connects the individual soul to the life force of the universe, whatever name we give to that. God, nature, uh, you know, quantum physics, uh, the oversoul, Atman, Dharma, there's a thousand names. But it's so all spiritual traditions, and love is the greatest thread, obviously. And for me, when it first appeared was when, so I'm 68, but as you know from my work in my 30s, I almost died from a rare form of cancer, lymphoma. And, and I think that's where the notion of the thread before, long before I ran across William Stafford's poem, uh, really appeared to me because, you know, as a poet, I was, you know, young and teaching and trying to get published and all those things. Well, when I was ill, forget publishing. I, the only gift I had was this rope of expression that I climbed day by day to get to tomorrow. And that became the first thread. And it was the way that my heart kept me connected in the midst of this horrible storm to everything that was foundational and lasting. So on the other side, blessed to be here, you know, I had become a student of all paths. And all of my work, you know, ever since, all of my books and my teaching, as you're, you're experiencing with me, is all about how to affirm the common center of all paths and how to lift up the tools, the skills, the uh, viewpoints, the perspectives, the threads that each offer us to live our lives and how to help people discover what thread works for them. You know, I, I know that in your recovery from your cancer, there was one point that you had an experience of perceiving in a different way. And you described this about when you uh, 
I think you had gone through some bone marrow transplants. Mm-hmm. They said that you needed to go home and lay down and not move. Yes, Do yes. you recall sure. this? Yeah, so they were actually, it wasn't a transplant, but it was a bone marrow sampling and a spinal tap, which I had in the same day, um, which I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> and uh, But I didn't know anything. I just did what I was told. Um, and so back then, I think it's much easier now, because they extract spinal fluid, it's the spinal tap, uh, that you need to let that fluid regenerate. So you need to lie flat. Then it was like for eight hours. I think it's much more reduced now. But uh, if you don't, you get a migraine. So the lesson, be still. Well, being in my 30s and not wanting to be still, I would move and I'd get a headache. Be still. I'd lay down and I'd be fidgety and I'd get up. I'd get a headache. I was like, okay, do you get it? be still. So finally, I, you know, not through any wisdom, I just got exhausted of keep getting these headaches. I finally laid still on, which was the living room couch where I was living at the time at that phase of life. And there was an apple tree in our front yard, which I'd seen hundreds of times, but never really seen until I was forced to lay still on the edge of life and death. And so I looked at this apple tree and This is where I talk about in the book about the difference between mental perception and indigenous perception. Because my mental perception knew it was a tree. Oh, and I can identify it was an apple tree. And yes, apples fell from it and wind went through it. But I never related to the tree. And so there I was sitting and I saw the tree and the tree started to speak to me, obviously not in words. And in this kind of uh, message, if you will, or intuition, or this this relational sense of the tree being alive, I got this sense that I translated into words which said, when you get through this, no more making things up. You will bear witness to the miracle of things as they are. And of course, the chief thing I focused on was this message said, when you get through this, not if, (laughs) which up until that point, I wasn't sure about anything. So I took that as a great affirmation. And that also changed so much my, how I approached writing, because it made me a witness to be present rather than looking for material to write, looking for stories to create that would be interesting or fascinating or have a point. It's told me I needed to be present enough until the miracle of life showed itself and then simply record it. And I I know that there's, for me, I really have tried to aspire to to be a better writer and to write with metaphors. And I've asked different writers about, oh, how did you get your metaphors? And, you know, I look up in synonym dictionaries and (laughs) I just try and everything and nothing works. But you have a little piece in there. Then this is relating to seeing that apple tree that you talk about how to find metaphors so share the secret (laughs) well it's not a secret but it's a it's a way of relating and seeing that i think even as a child before i knew any of this it was the way life has always spoken to me through metaphor so even as a little boy i remember being alone and trees wind through trees it's like they were saying 
pay attention, pay attention. You see, what is this like? It's like what? What's it like? I just felt this kind of always, everything I would see, water going over stones in a brook. Pay attention. What is this like? What is this like? And so before I had any sense of, I didn't, you know, I didn't find coming to the word metaphor till I was in my teens or even later, early 20s. So it again is a point, is a, is a portal of listening, of seeing, of letting the world speak to us because metaphor at its heart is an image or a picture that helps us keep in view what's hard to keep in view. So we need to pay attention and look for it. Everything will show us its relationship to something else. And the great, you know, the great metaphysical poets in the Renaissance, in the early early Elizabethan age, not Renaissance, actually, uh, John Donne, you know, was one of the first. What it means to, to be metaphysical is that the assumption that everything in the universe is connected. And the poet's job, and I would say the spirit's job, is to discover how. Because when we discover those connections, each one is a teacher. And these connections turn out to be metaphors. So one of the things that's so uh, powerful is the fact that, you know, as artists in the West, we're taught that we create out of nothing, which is, couldn't be farther from the truth. That makes us feel the, this false puffed up sense like we're playing God. Yeah, well, that's not true. That's not true. In fact, we are listening and discovering rather than inventing. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Mark Nepo, and he's the author of Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, marknepo, N-E-P-O, marknepo.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Mark Nepo, and he is the author of Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression, as well as many, many, many other books. You're so prolific in poems and all that you do and offer to us. One of the metaphors that really grabbed me when you shared a story, and this book is filled with stories and poems and all sorts of things and metaphors, and this was when you were talking about a friend of yours 
somebody in her family died and how when somebody dies, somehow it reminded her of Hades, yes. the god Hades. Yes. And the the word that you use and uh, the or what you said, you the image that came was uh, about how you, the pull of the tangle affects everyone around you, and and you say he might he might fist a set of roots and pull the tangle of roots deeper in the earth. It just blew my socks off, the mm. image of that, like the devil pulling, fisting this. Well, and it's, it's, it's a form, and so this was really Gail Warner, who as my friend, and we talked about this. She was the one who raised all of this. We entered this deep discussion, and she's the founder and director of Pine Manor Retreat Center in Southern California. And, and so what we were talking about and exploring and what led me to that metaphor is the fact that these energies that when the grief, when someone dies, those who love who's lost, we are pulled toward death with them. We don't leave life, but we are, that's what grief does. We, we are pulled, the net, the tangle of relationship, the, the kinship that we've spent a lifetime creating, of course, this is what grief is. It makes sense when I could see it in a metaphor that we're pulled for a while by death toward the underworld, and but we're still here, so we don't want to go, but we've got one foot here and one foot with them, and this is why I remember when my father was dying, you know, I felt like I was... Uh, for those months, as he was close to death, I felt like I was half here and half there. So when you describe it like that, it's not an intellectual process no. saying, okay, this is what you do when you're grieving. This is, it's like you're giving us an experience. Well, this is because, and this is the power of poetry, and the heart of poetry is metaphor. Metaphor and honesty. Metaphor immediately touches our heart. It doesn't go to the mind. It touches our heart and shows us what's unseeable briefly. And it gives us a way to understand it in a felt way. Like, oh, I understand that. If you were to pull the roots of a tree, the tree would start going a little bit underground or the branches would lean. And that's what, that's, that makes, oh, that's what happens when we're grieving. Oh, but I, you know, I wanted to say also about metaphor, and this is that, you know, I remember in one of my books in The Endless Practice, um, I was talking about metaphor, and I, I, I use it here, I explore it again, the fact that, you know, metaphor has its own agency. I mean, we don't create it or invent it. We discover it. So imagine, and this is a metaphor to talk about metaphor, but imagine when you go to a, you climb on the top of a mountain and you see the view. Well, when you leave, the view doesn't disappear. And metaphors are like that. If we make the climb, we will see them. They will come into view. But we have to make the effort and do the climb. And when we leave, they're not gone. They're there. They're teachers. So in one of the other book, you know, I had someone, a copy editor along the way, who I said, the metaphor is seen. And they wanted to correct me and say, that's passive tense. No, it's that you see the metaphor. And I said, oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. The metaphor is seen. We, 
the metaphor has its own agency. You know, when I did my book on inner courage, I, I, one of the ways into that was that I had discovered in Spanish, when you ask in Spanish, what does courage mean? Well, one of the ways it's translated in Spanish, that English phrase is, what does courage have to say? Oh, there is very different from very English. Different. Very different. Again, it's the in English, it's like, well, we decide so, what courage right. means, rather than, no, we need courage, so we seek its counsel. Right. Beautiful. You know, uh, all of this way of perceiving and uh, all that you're, you're writing, the, you, you say something about that, the, the bones of your work really harken back to your undergraduate work, I think, and you found a mentor who yes. was uh, Doc Palmer, I Doc think. Doc Palmer, uh, yes. Who was a theater professor. Yes. Can you tell us sure. why well, that's important to you? Well, because back, back then, <laughs> which, you know, was a little before the real burgeoning of creative writing programs. So I was an undergraduate, discovered I was a writer, a poet, hadn't written much yet, but I knew I was, and trying to explore that. And no one would really let me, like, pursue it for credit, you know, in courses. Uh, you know, there was the old sense that before you dare ever write anything, you better read everything that was ever written. Thank you very much. And um, I was open to reading, but my God, I needed to practice and be with teachers. And so Doc Palmer, who was the head of the theater department at Cortland State University in the late 60s, he, he sensed something in me and, he, and there wasn't even really formal independent study. At, at least at, at Cortland then in the state system, New York state system. But he sent something in me and he said, look, if you become a theater major, I'll let you write and I'll help you. But, you, but the, here's the catch. You have to begin by writing plays and learning through plays. And then you can write whatever you want. I said, sure. And what happened was an apprenticeship I had never foreseen, which was he made me take every aspect of the... I did stage set, I did lighting, I did acting, I did directing. And when we took literature in theater courses, so what he did, since there was no independent study, he would give assignments, but he'd take me aside and give me... So when we would study theater, read plays like Ibsen from the 1800s or even all the way back to Sophocles... Everybody would have to write a paper. He'd pull me in after and say, okay, you see this? I want you to write a scene based on Sophocles. Do that. I want you to see this character. I want you to write something with a character like that. Write a scene for me. Forget the paper. And so one of the things that was the bones of my writing that, that's been embedded in me back then because of Doc Palmer and his kindness and his belief is that the two main principles of theater are show, don't tell. We give the evidence, not the conclusions. And the other is that the very nature of theater is that the play is be right there between the writer and the viewer. You can't put it behind your back. You can't hide it in symbolism or intellectualism. There's the stage. The writer is back here. There's the stage and there's the audience. So it has to be out front and you have to show, don't tell. And I think without realizing it, that has informed all of my work. All of, you know, that and with my, just being a lifelong student of metaphor has informed all of my poetry and all of my books. 
Well, that's why in participating with your book, and I'm saying participating. Oh, wonderful. That's funny. Thank you. That's funny. That word just came to me because it's not about reading them. Thank it's you. It's not a how-to book. It's not going to lay out some map for us about <laughs> I'm glad, yeah. Yeah, it is participating that you—it's like a fine wine that you just— savor and you read a story and then you let it work with you. Oh, and good. I'm glad. Yeah, it's quite an activity, uh, a mutual activity, actually. And is that what you're intending? or? Well, yes. I, it's intended to be read uh, slowly at the pace of what your heart can take in. And there are often, as you know, there are a lot of invitations then to... Because the whole notion about the heart of this book is not just expression to create art, but as you mentioned in the beginning, expression that keeps us alive. Why? Because we're breathing right now. Well, we can't choose to inhale only. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And the way the heart breathes, and it's not about creating great art. The heart breathes, the inhalation is how we feel and perceive. And the exhalation is Everyone has to enlist and participate in a personal form of expression in order for the heart to stay healthy and whole and connected. So if I'm true to that, whatever that expression is, well, chances are the trail will be helpful and useful and good and maybe even excellent. But the goal isn't to create an artifice that is beautiful art. The goal is to keep the heart alive by participating in inhaling and perceiving and feeling and expressing. So while this is open to the larger sense of art, which is it could be stamp collecting. It could be listening to stories your grandmother tells you every Sunday when you bring her meals. It could, could be anything, taking a car apart and putting it back together and then telling somebody about it. Whatever enlists the heart as a form of expression, because what is not expressed is depressed. So that's why it's really important that we use our originality insofar as our, as you say, there's nothing really original, but <clears throat> the way we view it might be original. The way we participate, as you said, to participate, to engage, to give ourselves. See, we are the ones. It's interesting. When we're drawn to create something, we're the ones created for the commitment to give our life force to it. We think we're creating something, but it's creating us. And that is the joy and the reward for that. And I, I learned this, you know, I think I mentioned this in our, re our retreat this week. And I think I mentioned it in the book too. And, you know, watching my father, who was a master woodworker, and as a boy, he would, I, when I was a boy, he wasn't a boy, he would make these hours, weeks, working on these detailed uh, models of ships, sailing ships from the 1800s. He would get plans purchased like literal blueprints, and then he would make them to scale. And I remember watching him when he didn't know I was watching from the steps of the basement. And what he taught me was not excellence, but immersion. He gave himself so complete. I watched him with hours with tweezers, putting rails together in the bowsprit and, you know, and all the deck. And I watched him and when he gave himself that completely, I sensed, even as a boy, 
He was in the moment of everyone who ever built a ship in history. So the reward for immersion is the experience of oneness. Excellence is the byproduct. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that beautiful picture of your father and what you learned. I'm here with Mark Nepo, and he is the author of many books, including uh, one of his books, uh, The Way Under the Way, The Place of True Meeting. Oh, that's a wonderful. I'm, I, I haven't actually read that one yet, but I'm looking forward to that. And then the, the newest book, Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, marknepo.com. That's N-E-P-O, marknepo.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Mark Nepo. He is the author of Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression. And Mark, we were just talking about immersion, and this reminds me of a um, story and maybe metaphor. I'm not sure if you consider this quite a metaphor, but the story of immersion of whales and dolphins and what they have to say to us in our life. So yes. can you share a yes. little bit so about... Yeah, so this is a metaphor for sure, because, and it's, it's what they have to teach us. So whales and dolphins, you know, they're, they're these mammoth, magnificent creatures. And we take for granted, because we see them all the time, we learn at an early age, but they are air-breathing creatures that live in the deep. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. We can't do that. I can barely get out of the shower without drowning myself sometimes. <laughs> so, but what they do is, so even though they can hold their breath for enormous amounts of time, take a whale, they can't stay down there. So they have to go into the deep to act, literally refresh their bodies, to immerse their bodies in the depth of the ocean. And then, no matter how long they stay down, they have to, in order to breathe, break surface and breach. They have to come back into the world, but they can't stay there either. They have to go back into the deep. So there is this rhythm that both whales and dolphins, they come up into the world, they go down into the deep. They come up into the world, they go down into the deep. So this is a great teacher because this is what the spiritual journey is, what to be a a spirit in a body in time on earth. We are like whales and dolphins. We need solitude and community. We need depth and surface. We need to renew our entire being by, by immersing ourselves in the depth of life. But as much as that intoxicates us, as much as that's holy, we can't stay there, we'll drown because we're human beings. We have to bring that depth into the world. We have to breach and come back into the world. And we can't stay in the world. 
we have to go back like whales and dolphins into the deep. So this metaphor allows us to see that the lesson from the whale is, it's not a matter if we do this, and we must. The question is, what is your personal rhythm of depth and surface? What is your personal balance of when are we too much in the world? Oh, I got to go back in the deep. And when are we too much in the deep? Oh, I love it down here. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go out to the drugstore. Well, how long are you going to stay here before you start to drown? And this is the work of self-awareness. And the work of expression is coming up into the world and giving our gifts and going back into the deep and renewing our gifts. So that reminds me when you say, what is your balance? So what is our balance? Let's suppose, let's talk a bit about suffering. Hmm. Because suffering is something that we tend to want to avoid. What is your advice about how we can deal with suffering in our lives and what does that mean? Well, let me speak to it. I don't, I don't have any answers and I would say that, you know, when I share these are examples, not instructions. And so, so first off, and I think, you know, my understanding of suffering is definitely shaped by my almost dying and still being here. That shaped my lens on it. And so suffering I, is really the friction of the wheel of life. This is really a term that comes from Buddhism. But I would also describe it this way, and this is a metaphor. What erosion is to nature is what suffering is to human beings. Uh, Nobody likes it. Nobody signs up for it. You know, we travel, we save our money, we go to see cliffs, beautiful cliffs, either in Ireland or in the north north of the Barbados in the Caribbean. And oh, they're so beautiful. Well, we don't speak cliff language they're probably saying beautiful do you know that the ocean has been pounding me for a thousand years let me out of here (laughs) but i think that the purpose of suffering is twofold in or i imagine it is i don't have any answers but i think the one is that it is the way that life wears off everything that is false and non-essential so that only what is true and unbreakable remains Suffering wears away everything till all that's left is our inner beauty. So one of my books is called Reduced to Joy. And suffering, um, part of suffering is that life is made just difficult enough that we need each other to ensure the journey of love. We have to hold each other up to the erosion of life so that we can get to our inner beauty. So I, I think that we have this dialogue with experience and, and no one can avoid, avoid suffering. We don't want it. And, and as we talk today, you know, the word suffer literally means to feel keenly. Well, to know joy, you also have to feel keenly. So this tells us that it is the unity of life that is restorative. And as much as I would like to separate joy from suffering, I can't. I can't. No one has ever been able to do that. So you're saying that if if we say, okay, we can just cut suffering out of our lives completely, 
then we may not also be able to experience joy. Well, and we can't, we, and we can't as much as it's understandable, you know, there are anonymous Assyrian, like 2200 to 2000 BC verses that talk even then human beings going, oh God, just give me the good stuff, please. All right, beauty, truth, you know, relax, vacation. I don't want all this difficult stuff, but, but it doesn't work that way. And, you know, the metaphor that I use for that is water, which we know is made out of hydrogen and oxygen. Well, I can't just drink the hydrogen. If we were able to separate it, it would no longer be water and it would no longer be quenching. So it's taking in all of life with all of its elements and we have to sort out the restorative properties from the life draining properties and the painful pr properties, which can only be done by meeting life with our heart. So, so we can't turn our face away. No, and this is where expression, any form of expression is a form of medicine. You know, Native American medicine men, uh, there's two of their diagnostic questions someone would brought to them from the tribe, you know, they're sick. One of their questions would be, hmm, when was the last time you told your story? Uh, when was the last time you listened to the stories of others? Hmm. When was the last time you sang? When was the last time you danced? The four diagnostic questions. They say, okay, do these things and come back to me in a few weeks. We'll see how sick you are. Oh, that's a very different kind of appointment than we would have. Do you recall, uh, I think that you, in, in the workshop today, I think you uh, gave us a Rilke uh, yes. poem uh, that may apply here, doesn't yes, it? Yes, Rilke, among the many things the great Rilke said, but he said, let everything happen, beauty or terror. No feeling is final. Keep going. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> let everything happen, beauty or terror. No feeling is final. Keep going. And so it is this, it is through the thoroughness of our humanity that we gain access to the resources of the unity of life. It's not skipping over our humanity, it's through them, you know, and I experienced this, you know, when I could feel, when my, again, when my father, you know, was dying, I remember uh, feeding him applesauce, you know, something I'm sure a lot of people have done. And I was so drawn into that moment, everything, my whole life became that moment for those brief, that afternoon. And, and it was bittersweet and it was difficult and it was beautiful and it was everything. And surprisingly, when I faced it, when I gave myself completely to it and went to the bottom of my personality, I tripped into a moment of wonder. I tripped into a moment where suddenly I was now in the company of every adult child who ever fed a dying parent and I wasn't alone. So through feeling what is ours to feel, through meeting that life of expression, we actually trip into the well of all expression, and I think that is the threshold to resilience. So what I hear you're saying in that moment is that you were really present in that moment. and Completely so, present. Uh, so often, we're saying to ourselves, um, 
you know, life isn't so good right here. I wish you I were over there. Yes. So this is like a repeated theme that we do so often in our life. That well, we- and I think that I think that that you know one of the the rewards for finding some form of expression that is truthful and genuine is that it returns us to the fact, the mystical fact, that life is always where we are. There is no there. It's an illusion. Certainly we travel. I traveled from Michigan to be here in California, but that's on the surface. Whenever we get wherever we are going, if we're honest and truthful and open-hearted, we always open to the same moment, the same eternal moment, which waits under everything. So there's an, it's an illusion in our modern world that there is no there, there's only here. Oh, if I could only get over there, away from this difficulty. If I could only, oh, I see a couple walking down the street and I'm lonely and they look like they're such a wonderful couple. If I could have that, or even dreams. We put dreams and ambitions, we put them out ahead of us, like a carrot to a donkey. Oh, yes, when I get there, and I think one of the gifts, unexpected gifts from my cancer journey and almost dying was, I, I mean, I look forward to things, I look forward to our time together, but I... I can't dream forward anymore. It's like a boomerang. A dream comes out, an aspiration, a desire, something to work toward, and it boomerangs back to now. If I care about it, I have to attend it now. That doesn't mean that we don't make plans. Of course not. No, it was was Churchill who said, planning is essential, but plans are useless. (laughs) Because it's the planning that prepares us. And this is why in a lot of stories throughout all cultures, there are always versions of a story where someone goes to great, a hero goes to great pains to create plans. And then the wind takes the plans out of their hands or a fire and burns the plans or it rains and they can't read it. It's gone. Oh no. But that's the point is once we make the plans, it's preparing us. We don't need the plans because we are inwardly prepared. Right, so it's really, that's, that's where, and you're always encouraging that, that presence when you've spoken about it already. Well, we talked about today, you know, and this is always a distraction, a, a challenge point for all human beings. As soon as we count and compare, we're no longer present. It doesn't matter if I count up or down or compare up and down. So I'm, I'm less than or I'm better than, or do you really love me? How do I count if you really love me? How do I know if you really love me? Did, was it what you said? Mm, I don't. As soon as we count or compare, we are not present, and it is only presence that restores our worth. We're going to talk more about that. You've just kind of opened up a little... Little uh, <laughs> door there. I'm here with Mark Nepo. He is the author of Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression. I'm Justine Willis Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Mark Nepo, and he is the author of many books and audio programs and workshops and poems. Uh, and the newest is Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression. And we're talking about uh, presence, and we're talking about, I think you mentioned in the workshop that I've been attending this week, you mentioned how... Uh, our, our brains become calcified when we start depending, setting up edifices yes. to our preferences, and then they become assumptions. And well, what we were talking about and, 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 and what stops us or, or drains us of life force are two, two things that, that all human beings, we always have to struggle with. So these are choice points, our practice points in the life of a spirit on earth. So one is the fact that as far as we know, what one of the gifts of human consciousness is that we can learn. So we get insights and we can turn those patterns into wisdom. And that helps us not repeat things, that if I fall in a hole, I recognize, oh, that's the hole I fell in, I'm gonna walk around it today. But that doesn't work unless we stay current. So what does that mean? That means that when I don't clear out and become present regularly so that I, there is nothing between me and life, my direct experience of life, these insights and what were wisdom, they calcify into assumptions and conclusions. And the same way the heart we know physically can have plaque form in its arteries, assumptions and conclusions never emptied out become plaque of the mind and they drain us. And then the mind doesn't work as well. The mind is weakened because of the plaque that fills up the inlets and arteries that go in and out of it. So we, in addition to learning, we also have to have a practice, which is another reason for having an art, a, a practice of expression. How do we empty our assumptions and conclusions so we can be fresh again and meet life directly and not assume I know everything about you just because we've talked before? The other aspect, which we did talk about today, that that kind of clogs up the mind and keeps us from being present, and this is very prevalent in the modern global world, is the, the encouragement for us to establish all kinds of preferences. Now I'm going to read four reviews before I go to a movie or before I go to a restaurant, and I don't know, it might not be the food I like or that my wife likes. Well, this, this limits and isolates us from experiencing anything new. For me, I prefer saying, well, I prefer it this way rather than I, it has to be this way. So there's a kind of a lightness to saying, oh, this is a preference. Well, it's, it's not fine. set in stone. It's so fine to, to have likes and dislikes. Okay. But what becomes a problem for me, and I think for a lot of people, is when those start getting installed as our landscape. In other words, oh, because of my preferences, this is the only way that I will go to the movies, or the only way I will go to a restaurant, or the only kind of books I will read, or the only kind of opinions I will listen to. So the preferences, and one of the reasons, and I'm not, I'm not like criticizing uh, Pandora, the app Pandora, which, which allows us, you know, if you listen to some um, song you like, then it brings you another song you like. 
Well, how do I ever hear music I never heard before? How do I ever grow out of my box? It's self-looping. Yes. So this is the problem with preferences and, and the great teacher that undercuts all preference is the sun. Here's another metaphor. The sun emanates light and warmth in all directions without preference. That's what it means to be the sun. It doesn't say today, I think I'll shine on the roses today. <laughs> all right. And the heart is an inner sun. And our job as a spirit is through the heart to emanate love and warmth and light in all directions without preference. Yes, in the outer world, I like this, I don't like this, I don't like every person I meet, that we don't get along well, I have to decide who to trust, but I never shut down the inner sun. Mm. I never shut down the inner sun. Not only because of what we give, but because of what we get. This is the channel, this is the, the source between us and source that enlivens us. You mentioned something uh, a few minutes ago about uh, staying current, yes. staying current with ourselves. It reminds me of a story that you told in the workshop this week, and uh, it really kind of illustrated for me. It was something about, I can't remember who the person was, but it was their tailor. Oh, that, that's George Bernard Shaw, uh, who, who said, he was so, so witty and clever. But he said, um, you know, he said, the only person who makes sense in my life is my tailor. He takes new measurements every time I meet him. Everyone else I know expects me to fit the old measurements. <laughs> exactly. So this is about the container, us being a container and being contained it's yeah, so this brings up another uh, story and, and the sense that, you know, our experience uh, imprints on us and it forms uh, boundaries and sometimes containers around us. How we're brought up, how we're taught to think, wounds, traumas, things that tell us where to go, where not to go, how to behave. And the challenge for all of us is once we leave the container, to stop being contained. And the teacher for this, uh, for me, was an experience with my oldest friend, Robert, who lives in Albany, New York, and I'm godfather to his kids, who are all grown now. And, but when they were little, and you know, he had a typical three-child household, with he and his wife, and there were dogs and cats and fish and everything all over the place. And we would have these kind of conversations like you and I are having, and I would just, because I don't have kids, and I'd go over there and I'd follow him around while he was folding laundry and taking the dog out. So one day he had to clean the fishbowl. So we went and we kept talking. We went in the bathroom. We filled up the bathtub with water. He put the fish in the tub and he was cleaning the bowl. And when we came back to get the fish, they had the whole bathtub to swim in. And they swam in the center in the shape of the bowl. And what I love about Robert is without missing a beat, he looked, he said, huh, I wonder what our bowl is. <laughs> there you go. And, and so that's where we, we, staying current, staying, knowing where we are and how, how we are being limited by the so bowls. So the, the way to be current is to be present, 
And the way to be present is to allow our heart to inhale, perceive and feel, and express in some form of expression. You might create something pretty or beautiful or insightful, but that's not the point. The point is that that flow of life through the heart keeps us directly alive and current and continuing to grow. Living is the original art. And it just, it just reminds me, going back to, to what you said about your father, building those models, his immersion. We need to emerge into life and merge well, into We could life. say, you know, Im- immersion, I-M-M, yeah. leads to immersion. Okay, yeah. We emerge when we give ourselves completely anything. And this is why when we're struggling, you know, we often when we struggle, I experience this, we all have, we try to solve it with the mind. Well, the mind's a great tool, but it's not the only tool. And often I get to the end and, you know, Einstein wonderfully said, you can't solve a problem with the thinking that created it. So at some point the mind doesn't work. And at that point, one of the things that we can do is turn to the heart. And so when I'm stuck in my mind, when I can't figure out a problem, when I'm confused or things are complicated, I can take things in and express them. And that will start to loosen the knot in my mind. I can also, when I'm struggling and stuck in my mind, I can give to anything or anyone and that will loosen the knot in my mind. And if I give my attention fully to the nearest thing, I will become present again. Beautifully said. I would love, before we end this conversation, for you to say something about in 2020, you're going to be offering three spiritual journeys for small groups. Please say something about that. Yeah, so in addition to my travel and where I teach all over, where I live in Michigan, I will offer... Uh, three different journeys for a small group. So we would work with no more than 30 people. And you can go to my, and you know, one is a year long journey. That is the same group comes together four weekends over a year. We journey together. Another is a, what I call a deep dive where a group of 30 people will come together for six days completely all together. We'll just do a deep dive. And a, and a third is a, a kind of a threshold experience, which is a weekend, which is the doorway into all of this work. So all of the detail on my website, you know, if you go there, there's a little video and there's a link which will have all the details and folks can, uh, you know, sign up right there or register. So if it speaks to, and I know it takes, these don't start till next March, but it takes time to make a commitment to do things and to see right. if this feels exactly. right for someone. Thank you so much. And um, so that's out the website for people to check in on that is marknepo.com. And he spells his last name N-E-P-O, marknepo.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. And Mark is the author of Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression. And also another book I want to mention, The Way Under the Way, The Place of True Meeting, Uh, all sorts of books. And all of that you can find also on the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. 
This is program number 3685. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org, or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.